Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. I, w- I want to talk to you today around this idea where we're continuing in our series, Imagine More Faith in. Imagine More Faith in Christ, blank. And I want to talk to you today around this idea of imagine more faith in Christ when your faith fails. Imagine more faith in Christ when your faith fails. So Lord, we we just thank you for your presence in this place, God. We know that we bring your presence here. It doesn't reside in the building. It resides in your people. And so we just thank you, God, that there's something so powerful as we gather together and lift up your name. God, we don't want to leave here the same. We, we want to really hear from heaven today and just ask, God, that you would speak to every chamber of our heart. Lord, that you would illuminate the dark areas. God, that you would encourage, that you would convict us. Lord, that it would be all the above today, that we don't know whether we got slapped or loved today. Let that, let that be the, the sense. And just to you, all the glory. We need you. We love you. And we honor you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we thank our worship team? Dang. I just want you to play like the whole time that I'm preaching. Oh, so good. Well, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen any clips, but it's, it's pretty cool. I've, I've caught in a couple of them over my lifetime, not, not too many. But, uh, but there's, there's a couple different kinds of eclipse. There's a solar eclipse and there's a lunar eclipse. Now, a solar eclipse is where the moon gets in between the earth and the sun. And a lunar is where the earth gets in between the sun and the moon. But, but nevertheless, with an eclipse, there's an absence of light. There's a presence of shadows, darkness. It was so funny. I think 2019, there, we had a lunar eclipse and we, uh, lunar eclipse, you would actually go pursue at night. And I'll never forget, we, we went out to North Livermore, way out kind of in the country. We wanted it to be pitch black so we could catch uh, a, a picture of this. And, and uh, it, was, it was pretty cool because you could kind of see, you know, it's one of those things that you go after, but you don't really see a whole lot, but it's fun, the experience. We brought hot chocolate and, and it was great, but it was kind of cloudy. So you couldn't see in totality uh, but nevertheless, it was a great family time together. I don't know, though, if I've ever actually seen a legit eclipse. Even I feel like I always miss it. Like it was, it, it just happened. Oh, and I was inside. Or I, I just always seem to have missed it. However, I have been a part of a lot of eclipses. And I think you've been a part of a lot of eclipses more than we think. That's not revolving around the S-U-N, but is revolving around the S-O-N, or the Son of God, and us having moments where there's an eclipse between us and Him. I think it can happen on a variety of different levels, but I think the two tensions that we normally experience these eclipses on is when we're experiencing great success and great difficulty. Like, you know, when the wind is to your back and you're flourishing, oh, the career is going good, family is solid, everybody's well. And you just feel like you're going from success to success. Anybody in one of those seasons right now? A couple of you. All right. Praise the Lord for that. 
And then there are seasons where everything is terrible. It's like nothing is working. The opposite is happening of success. Things seem to be falling apart more often than they are being put back together or in a healthy place. Uh, we can find ourselves in a, a terrible country song that seems to be playing over and over and over to the point where, no shade, no shade, to the point where your dog is even looking at you sideways. Like it's just that bad. And I think in, the mom, in these moments, we, we, we were fighting and there's a tension that we're trying not to let both success or difficulty get in the way of our view of Jesus. It can feel a lot like this. Like, like stay out of my view. Because success can eclipse your view of the Lord and so can difficulty. I feel like sometimes we feel like difficulty does a little bit more. But I don't know. I think success, it, it has the same notion where we, we have to fight to keep Jesus at the center. We have to fight to keep our eyes fixed on him. And I think it's important that we, we build our faith. And that's what this whole series has been about. But I think it's also important that we understand that we have an enemy of our faith. And that his, his one sole desire is to block your view. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, there's a story about Peter and Jesus and Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded that he might sift you like wheat. Now, sifting is where you would take like a pitchfork. You put, put the pitchfork in the wheat and you throw it up in the wind and all the grain would fall to the ground because it's heavy and then the chaff would be blown away. But the language that, that, Satan is, that Jesus is using in regards to Satan is, is a little, it's, it's just a little more robust than that. In other words, Satan wants Peter to be completely removed out of God's hands. Like, like his desire is to bring like a, a, a complete blockage that Peter would be in his power only. I mean, that's, that's the weight of this text. It's a frightening place to land, if you think about it. Like we have an enemy of our soul that's just not trying to, you know, throw a little shadow. But we have an enemy of our soul that wants us completely removed a complete distortion and blockage of our view and relationship with God. And so, so I mean, I would think that Peter would be a little bit disturbed by this conversation, but there's some encouragement. Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, I think Peter would have hoped that it would have went something like, hey, man, and I slapped Satan. I slapped that fool. He's not going to touch you, not going to, you know, sift you. But that's not what Jesus does. He says, I prayed for you. Because there, there's something that Jesus sees in Peter that still needs to happen. There's a faith that Peter possesses that's not quite, hasn't reached, you know, this, this place of, let me say it like this. The faith that Peter currently possesses, Jesus is like, there's, there's more than that kind of faith. Jesus said, I, I have something different in mind for you. And so, but this word, fail, I pray that your faith will not fail, is where we get the word eclipto. It's where we get the word eclipse, to leave out, to leave off, by implication to cease. So in other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, Satan wants to come in between us. He doesn't want you to be able to see me anymore. But I have prayed that your faith will not fail. However, you're going to experience some failure. But I've prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. 
Like, like there's, there's hope on the other side of this. You're going to make it, and when you do, strengthen your brothers. I think sometimes we, we believe this idea that if we saw the miracles that the, the apostles saw, that maybe we, we would have a more bolder faith. That maybe we wouldn't be in a, in a position to be sifted so easily. But here, Peter, I mean, the, the guy is as close to Jesus as you can get, and he's still not exempt from the enemy's temptation. He's still not uh, exempt from having moments of shadows and darkness coming in between him and Jesus. And so the enemy of your soul wants to do whatever he can to help you not to see Jesus clearly. That's why we exist as a church. We, want, we exist as a church to help you see Jesus clearly, both to the church and to the unchurched, because you can be in church and still not see him clearly. But we want to see, help you see him clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Why is this so important? Because the enemy of our soul wants to shipwreck our faith. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.19, cling to your faith in Christ. Like, like, like lay a hold of it with everything, like everything. Cling. Cling to your faith in Christ. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. And so, so Satan uses a lot of different strategies to try to get in, the, in your view. But, but I think there's one subtle one that I really want to hit on today specifically, and it's the sin of self. The sin of self will shipwreck your faith, and it happens suddenly. Like, you know the days where you're just killing it? Like, like you woke up, you prayed. You prayed more than just for your food. Like, you actually, when you prayed for some people put on worship music in the car and you're like patient as you're driving. There's just the sense of, man, I'm kind of killing it today. <laughs> Opened up my Bible, right? Received some things, even let God correct me a little bit. You know, in those days, our faith feels so strong, doesn't it? It just feels like we could take on the world. But then imagine another day where you're not killing it and you feel like, you yelled at your kids in the morning, you got into a fight with your spouse, you know, maybe you, you know, instead of listening to, you know, to worship music, you put on some different music, got you in a little vibe, a little angst, a little irritated, you walk into the office and, you know, the different, you know, just a different pace to your step, didn't touch the Bible, you know, pray for the person that you didn't hurt them, right? And it's in those moments that that our faith doesn't feel so strong. It feels a little, a little shook because a lot of times we base our faith, if we're not careful, on our faithfulness instead of his faithfulness. And so as long as we're being faithful, we're like, we're good. And then the moment we fail, we're like, we're, 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 done. we're done. And so I want to encourage you today that the sin of self will have you put your faith in yourself over Christ to base yourself on your faithfulness instead of his faithfulness. And what that does is it, it creates a distorted confidence. It, it, it's like you, you ever think you're awesome and then more awesome walks in the room? <laughs> Have you ever experienced that? You know, especially if you go to the gym. I don't go to the gym. I need to go to the gym. But when I used to go to the gym, I remember moments where you're just kind of like, you know, the shadows are right. The lighting is perfect. You just hit biceps and triceps like the only thing you ever hit. You get, get those in once a week, never touch your legs. And you, just, and you just feel like, all right, I'm in the building here. 
And then, and then all of a sudden you just glance literally just a few steps over and you're like, whoa. And it's like just shredded and swollen, instantly humbled. All of a sudden it was a distorted confidence. It's put in perspective really, really quick. Or, or if you're at church and you're walking around and you're just, hey, how you doing? Great to see you. Or if you're introverted, it's like, hey, how's it going? Great to see you. But you have something in your nose all day. And so you just felt like, man, today was a great day. Then you get home, you're like, man, nobody told me. <laughs> nobody even let me know. Or when you're in marriage counseling and you're boldly proclaiming how vitally important marriage is and you're the priority of marriage, and the very moment you're declaring that, you forgot your anniversary, Pastor Matt. <laughs> little, little confident. A little distorted, though. Or, or if you have kids... Have you ever had, had your kids where you're, you're doing all the work, but they think it's them? Like, Dad, I want to help you lift that couch. They're like, yeah, look how awesome I am. Like, girl, I'm carrying all the weight. We can have a disordered confidence so easy. And this is what Peter is getting ready to experience. Matthew 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Pete, this very night. Like, this very night. Like, just in a few hours. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. You're going to disown me, Pete. And Peter's like, dude, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples are like, yeah, <laughs> us too. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's a matter of hours, and you're all going to sell out. And so, so at this moment, G Peter doesn't trust Jesus. He trusts Peter. Like he's confident in his confidence. It's not his faith in Christ, it's in his ability, his faith in his ability to not fail. And it's in this place that this type of confidence, this type of faith, it's, it's super frail. It's a distorted confidence. And Jesus knows the whole time. He's like, dude, you're going to deny me. You're going to disown me. You know when you get saved, like things on many occasions, this wasn't my experience, but this was a lot of people's experience where you give your life to Jesus and it just feels like, yes, this is amazing. You lay your hands on telephone poles and it's like, they straighten out. You're like, this stuff works. And then everything is just cool. You haven't gotten jaded by the church yet. So like you love church. You love the worship. You, love, you, don't, even, you don't even know if there's any other worship songs. You're just Man, this is great. Man, God is touching you. And it's just, it's just amazing. It feels like you have all the faith in the world. Like you could believe God for anything. And a lot of times what we don't realize is in those moments, we, we, we can easily put our trust in our experience. And then what happens is things start to go wrong. We're like, God, where are you? Did you leave? Is this not real? Like what is happening here? Because our, our trust really isn't in him. And we've all been through this. And some of us still experience this. Our trust isn't in him. It, it's more in whether it's our performance, whether it's in our experience. And so Peter's like, I'm never going to do it. And he does it. He denies him. And it says this. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord spoke to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. What a terrible moment, right? Because this is what Satan does. He is the accuser of the brethren. 
So he wants to block your view, and then he wants to point out the fact that you can't see. Right? So, so it's like, wow, Pete. Whoa. Look at you, big boy. Christian? Follower of Jesus? Shame enters. Guilt enters. Condemnation. And, and Satan's just like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let me just stand in the way a little bit more. It's getting darker, isn't it, Pete? And so, so in these moments, we have this sense of, of, I don't even know, should I even try anymore? It, it's, it's this whisper and this eclipse of just give up. Look, look, you're still angry. Just quit. You're, you're still an emotional wreck. Just stop. You're still a coward. You're still a gossip. You're still lusting and looking at things you shouldn't be doing. Like, how does a Christian do that? You should just give up and you should go back. Go back to your kingdom. Go back to your old ways. And Peter's sense, it would be, be go, go back to fishing, man. This fishing for men thing, go back to fishing for fish. You're in much more control in that area. Go back. And Peter, in this moment, what's wrong? He denies him. He weeps bitterly. Jesus dies on the cross, raises from the dead, and Peter just, he can't see. It's, it's not in the fact that he doesn't believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Like Jesus ran, Peter ran to the tomb, and, and, and there's a lot of commotion happening, but it's just like, man, God, I don't know if I'm done. I don't know if, like, if you still want me. Anybody ever feel like that? God, do, do you still want me? And so Peter goes back, and he says, I'm going out to fish. He told them, and then what did the disciples say? We're going with you. <laughs> they were echoing Peter on one hand, like, we're, never, we're going to ride with you. Jesus, we're going to die, yes. Now it's like, yeah, we're going to go fishing with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Maybe you haven't gone back to fishing. But when you're in a place of guilt and shame and you have blown it, you've made some mistakes and the enemy is highlighting them, the focus on self can be so real that you can no longer see that his mercies are new every morning. You can no longer see that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you. You, you, just, you just can't see that anymore. And the sense is, I just, I just want to quit. Now, you may not quit. Like, you may still show up to church. You may still go through the motions. You may still try to do all the right things, but you're not bold anymore. Like, you're not speaking up like you used to. There's not an urgency to reach people because you're like, man, I'm messed up myself. Can I tell you how there, there's countless times that the enemy would come to whisper to me, a nine to five would be so much easier. Go back. You make a lot more money. You get to work nine to five, get the weekends off, show up to church, not do anything. Whew. Man, what it, and I'm telling you, the enemy is always looking for a moment of eclipse. And you have to be ready for it. You have to understand that there's an enemy for, there's an enemy of your soul. And you have to make sure that your confidence is in the right place, that your faith is anchored in the right place, not in it of yourself, but in Christ's ability to keep you. Because if not, what, what ends up happening is this, is we, we're, we live in this space of we just feel like going back or we're going backwards. We feel like, oh, the shame, the guilt, the frustration. 
And if we don't let God deal with that brokenness, we start to head down this road of a distorted view of self. And can I just tell you that the sin of self will lead you to a distorted view of self. It'll lead to a distorted confidence, which blows up your world because you realize you're not enough. And, and then it, leads, it can lead to a distorted image of yourself. Now, John Tyson has done a ton of work on this. And so I, I asked permission to, if I could paraphrase some of his stuff, and he gave me the green light. I'm going to be with him next two weeks. I'm excited. Um, but, but he's done a, a lot of work on, on the, uh, the, the picture of the false self. Because when, when we have a false image of ourselves, when our identity is not rooted in Christ, things get very fragile. In fact, when you look in Genesis chapter 4, after sin entered humanity through Adam and Eve, fractured everything, banished from the presence of God, no longer in the Garden of Eden, what, what happens? Cain kills his brother and then flees to Nod. Kills his brother flees. And, and this is where we kind of see the first city being built. But it's, he fled out of self-preservation. I'm, I'm trying to get away from everything. And then what happens is sin entered humanity. So we start to build cities around self, self-preservation. We start to use culture to serve self. We start to build up walls to keep people out of being able to access us and we're banished from the you know sin has banished them from the presence of God so it's a city of defense it's a city of cultural nuances that have nothing to do with God and systems so that nothing can get to me it's a false self it's an identity that's rooted outside of Christ anytime that we try to find our identity Apart from God, if God is not our reference point, what's going to happen is we start to have to build a city around us. God has called us to live in the kingdom with him, that God wants to establish his kingdom in our hearts and use us to establish his kingdom on earth. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if we try to find our identity outside of God, then we start to build these proverbial cities around us. To do what? To fend off the threat. Don't want to be exposed. Don't want people to see I'm fragile. Don't want people to see I'm vulnerable. I just, I got, I got to put this facade out. And we start to build systems around this, and then we compete like crazy. We compete out of fear. We compete out of self-preservation. We compete out of self-promoting. We compete out of trying to distinguish ourselves above others. Like, we have to always have one up. We manipulate to protect ourselves. We manipulate to get things moving in the direction that we want. And then in the process of all of this, we start to deconstruct God's sacred order. That servant leadership is really where it's at. That the first, if you want to be first, you've really got to be last. But there's no way that you can be last with such a fragile identity. I have to be on top. I have to be in control. Therefore, I have to construct a city around me that protects, that keeps me safe. So you can't get to me. And so what does Peter do? He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to the place of control. He goes back to the boat, goes back to fishing. I know this world. I was the man in this world. Like, I, I get this. It's familiar and God is no longer my reference point. It's me. He told me I was supposed to fish for men. 
But now I'm back to building the city around me again. This is familiar. It's, it's the place of the old. I know how to move. I know how to act. I know how to navigate in this space. I did it for a long time. And so whenever God ceases to be our reference point, we become the center of the city. We become the center of our lives. And then in order to get to us, if you want to interact with us, you have to go through all of these defensive and fragile things. Wall after wall, gate after gate. Because we've done a good job of just keeping you out. You, you can see on the outside, like, we're secure and we're solid. Got a great business. Got some decent, like, you know, things are going good. I just can't let you into the chambers. You just can't see me for real, for real. So on social media, it's going to look great. Social media is a great place. We got a great cover photo. Great, you can cover up so much on social. People pretend to be wealthy. People pretend to be all of this, but really they're broke, living at their mom's house, trying to sell you a, a product. But you would look and be like, no way. It's a city trying to expand its territory. And then when you have a distorted picture of self, when you have a distorted self, a false self, then it distorts your priorities. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, there was a time, Daniel chapter four, it says all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, powerful king of Babylon. 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king explained, exclaimed, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built by the might of my power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? He was warned about this 12 months ago. Like, you're about to lose it, bro. And he, and he doesn't see it. He just looks at the kingdom and rather seeing that it's a gift from God and that he's only in power because the one true God says you're in power. He's like, it's me. Look at, look at what I built. Look at the city. It's so crazy. When God ceases to be the center, we chase ridiculous stuff. We start thinking very irrational. Like the things that God has given us as gifts, we start to take advantage of. We start to think it's us. Like our marriage, it's like, rather than it being a gift from God, it's like, no, no, this is my city. Controlling this thing. Trying to get in my way. We, we start to do some just weird stuff. We say things like, this is just the way that I am. Deal with it. This is my world. My city. We start pursuing the next great thing. If I could just get that, man, I got that. If I could just get this, got that. If I could just, I'm, not, I'm almost there. And we live our life in fear, exhaustion, creates so much pain for us, creates pain for other people, and it just leads to insanity. But the subtleness of it is the insanity looks normal. But, but Nebuchadnezzar, this is what happened. It says even the the words on his lips, even as they were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge the most high sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Like we didn't wake up on Sunday and be like, this is the goal. Like, I cannot wait to be driven away from people and 
spend time with the wild animals. Can't wait for my nails to grow, to be completely disheveled and out of my mind. But when you're self-centered, you do crazy stuff. Like, like, like nothing ever works when self is at the center. I remember several years ago, I was, uh, I was at a pastor's gathering. And, you, you know, every time we go to a pastor's gathering, we want to get a number. Like, you want to connect. You just don't want to show up to a gathering and not grab somebody's number so you can connect afterwards. Just kind of like what we say, hey, get into a small group. Like, us pastors need that, too. And I'll never forget, I was, I was exchanging information, and on my phone, you could see as I was typing, I had 25 unread voice messages, because you guys call me so much, right? <laughs> and he's like, dude, like, you have a lot of unread voice messages. Instantly, I was insecure. I was like, I was embarrassed. I was like, he thinks I'm irresponsible, so I lied. He's like, dude, you must be busy. Like, you must be, like, yeah, bro, I was out of town. Uh, and as I'm saying that, I'm like, what am I saying? Because I was embarrassed. I felt irresponsible. Eclipse. I can't see. And it's funny because when you remove God from the equation, you start to do irrational things that you normally wouldn't do. And the issue for me there wasn't lying. It was a worship issue. It wasn't just lying. It was what was underneath that was saving face was way more important than being honest before the Lord. And what's even more embarrassing is I had to call him and repent. Like, who does that? <laughs> hey, bro, we just met. I lied to you, man. I'm so sorry. That's terrible. But, but we got to understand, when you remove God from the equation, when you let the enemy eclipse and you can't see, you just start, you start doing some crazy stuff. When self is at the center, self-centered life does not work with anything. Ask any marriage in here, like, hey, how selfish is working out for you? How's it working out in your business? Like every top Fortune 500 company that has great cultures is derived from servant leadership, from biblical principles, from the absence of, of, of self. Now, when I say, let me make this very clear, humility is not is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less often. And so, so I'm not just saying like walk around like, oh, just terrible. No, that's, that's not it. Walk with your head up. You're a child of the king. Absolutely, just don't make it about you all the time. And, and so, so self-centeredness doesn't work in our mar- relationships, marriages, businesses. It doesn't work also in our belief system. It self-destructs. That's why today relativism is like the you know, idol of our our culture. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Relativism says there's no such thing as absolute truth, which is an absolute statement. So in and of its own foundation, it self-destructs. It puts us at the center. It removes God and we just build cities around us. It's pretty crazy. It doesn't work good. Because if your truth is your truth, like we all like that till your truth hurts me. Then we don't like that philosophy anymore. We like it as long as it's working for us. But the moment somebody violates us, no, build a city. And it's a city of exhaustion, pride, 
embarrassment. And then Jesus is like, listen, how about you, you, how about you, you want some rest? Like, won't you come to my kingdom? What does the kingdom of God consist of? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He's like, man, come, come and let me build my, establish my kingdom in you, and you establish your kingdom in the earth. I'm just telling Jesus, like, man, it's worth it. So what am I saying today? I'm saying there's so much at stake. We have to lean into this. So, so let, me, let me tell you the answer to the sin of self. The answer to the sin of self is death to self. It's not maybe a little bit, I just need to be a little bit better version of me. You know, just, I'm just going to get a little bit better. No, 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 you, you need to die to yourself. I need to die to myself. You know, the earth is, is spinning on a perfect axis right now. It weighs septillions of tons, and it's orbiting around the sun. Do you know that it takes 365 days for the earth to do a full orbit around the sun? And I would propose today that in a cliche type of a way that we are also, listen, our world is not supposed to revolve around us at the center. It's supposed to revolve around the S-O-N, Christ at the center, 365 days a year. It's not about trying to be a better self, not even about being more disciplined in certain ways. It's about dying to yourself. Paul said it this way, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. There's no better way to describe death than crucifixion. Paul's like, I'm dead. When Christ died on the cross, so did I. But he says, but he lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, here it is, you ready? I live by faith, not in myself, not in my city, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's like, you know what's in my view is that he loved me and gave himself for me. I, like I'm walking in that light. Because we talk about a lot about obedience in church, which is fundamental to our faith. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. It's central. But surrender, I would, I would, I would argue that surrender is superior or is in a matter of priority, surrender is, should precede obedience. Because you can be obedient in a momentary decision and just be like, fine. But surrender is a posture of a heart. It's the posture of the kingdom. Like we all know that it's possible to obey God with our behavior, but have our hearts distant, rebellious, disconnected from him. Like we have people in church all the time. It's like, man, I'm in church, but I'm so disconnected from it. A lot of times we think it's just people in the world. No, no, you can be doing the right things. The religious leaders were doing the right things, but Jesus is like, you guys are whitewashed tombs. Like your hearts are far from me. Obedience, what can it do? It can still, it can still drive and fill you with a self-righteousness because you're like, man, I'm kind of killing the game. Right? It can fuel your ego. It can reinforce your spirit of control. Right? It can do all these things. You can even obey to try to get God to give you what you want. I'm going to obey you because I'm going to try to manipulate you. But surrender is different. Surrender is not a, a posture of, of obligation. It, it's a posture of trust. It's, it's a heart that says, God, I am open to any and everything, Father, that you have for me. I trust you. Not out of obligation, but because, oh, my God, you love me and gave yourself for me. Like, I just have a clear picture. Like, like nothing gives a greater picture of surrender than a trapeze. You guys have heard me talk about this before, but I think it's appropriate for, for today. Like, this girl is in full dependence right now. Nothing. She's holding on to nothing. 
she is totally anticipating this brother right here to catch her. And if he doesn't, she's like, praise the Lord for nets because she's going to be caught. But it's just a posture of like, I'm all in. You know, Henry Nouwen, famous writer, author, theologian, he actually took up trapeze later in his life because he was like, man, I, I want to know what it's like to be fully surrendered. John Orderberg later wrote, he talked about how the only time the word trapeze is mentioned in the Bible is in the New Testament. It's the Greek word where we get the word trapezio. It means table. And the only place that it's mentioned is at the Last Supper when Jesus is at, with his disciples. And essentially what he's saying, Jesus is saying, and what John Orderberg kind of ties together was like, hey, Jesus is saying, I'm letting go. I'm getting ready to let go so that you could be caught. It's beautiful, isn't it? But then they also said that with trapeze artists, it's, they're just not thinking in their mind like, okay, do I let go now? Ready? Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. And the, no, that, that's not how they let go. How they let go is there's a coach on the bottom saying, no, no. And so the goal is not you knowing. The goal is trusting the voice that's saying, let go now. God, I'm eclipsed now. God, I can't see now. God, it's out of front now. And so, so we get this picture in your mind. When we think about dying to ourselves, this is, I think, a great way is being so in tune with the voice of God every single day that we're just willing to surrender at every now. Just at every now, like, okay, God, I, I, I'm in. That's why it's so important we study our Bible so we know his voice inside and out. But I want you to get this picture. Dying to yourself, it's hard for us. Why? Because it's vulnerable. Dying is very vulnerable. You ever think about like, there's gonna come a day that we're all gonna die. And sometimes some of us right now, we're like, man, you better get my hair done. Make sure I look all right. Because what we're saying is it's, it's vulnerable. Think, think about Jesus' death. Think about the crucifixion. How vulnerable was that? Like we've come to him through the holes in his hands. Like his scars is how we're sitting in this place today, able to have hope and life and healing in the midst of all of the craziness of this world because of his holes. You know, when Jesus rose again from the dead, in his resurrected body, the holes were still there. It was like, I'm not ashamed of the holes. It's vulnerable. You would think on the other side, we'd be like, oh, no more holes. No more holes in the feet. No more holes in the hands. But he's like, no, put your hand in my side. Look at the holes in my hand. Like, this is real. Never to be ashamed of. But we look at the cross, we're like, it's victory. Not in that day. It was shame. It was weakness. It was vulnerability. But he died. And on the other side of his death was life. Like real, true life. That's what Jesus said. Listen, if you lose your life for my sake, you're really going to find it. But can I just tell you, if you're afraid of weakness and you're afraid of vulnerability, you're going to lack power in your life. If you're just trying to build a city of self around you so nobody can get in, nobody knows, nobody can, just don't, don't, just afraid of weakness, afraid of vulnerability, afraid. Man, you, you, God, guess what? You're going to live a very well-protected life, but you're going to be alone, exhausted, and never really experience the way that life is supposed to be both in this life, not just in the next life. 
Like you can be saved, but maybe you still built some cities where you're the center and it's no longer Christ. Paul was super arrogant before he got saved. Like he was like, dude, I am like the man. If anybody has a right to brag, it's me. I'm like a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm like the guy of the guys. And then he gets saved and he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. I boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ would rest upon me. Why? Why is Paul so vulnerable all of a sudden? Because he's no longer building a kingdom of self. He's now building the kingdom of God. And he's like, I know where the power lies. I boast in my weakness. And this is so beautiful. Matthew chapter 27. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. This is the very last moments of the cross. And he said, and it says that he yielded up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this is where the presence of God resided, that only the high priest could go in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And now guess what? That eclipse is gone from top to bottom, wide open, access to the presence of God, access to his marvelous light, access to healing, access to freedom. The cross said there's no more eclipse. Anybody can come boldly to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus. But how do we get there? Vulnerability. Weakness. See, the kingdoms of this world say you need something of value in order to get in. That's why we put on our best, our best foot. You want to get in college, you got to have those grades. Or the pocketbook. Or you can pay some teachers. If you want to get in a movie, you got to have a ticket. Try to buy jail at Walmart today. They don't take Apple Pay. Guess what? I left empty-handed. First world problems. But the kingdom of God, you don't get in until you realize you have nothing to offer. You don't get the power of God until so you realize that you were spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. There's nothing that we have to bring to the table. But there's light in his presence. Psalms 89 says this, Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they walk in the light of your presence. The veil has been torn. There's access to light. Let me leave you with one story that I heard that I think oh, just, just sows all of this up. There's a story of Alexander the Great, one of my favorite conquerors. I mean, I'm fascinated by his life, not fascinated by his actions. He conquered most of the known world by the age of 24, led his first battle at 16. Extremely bold, arrogant, building cities around himself. Like, for real, for real cities. Like, real cities around him. But he conquers the known world. And he comes into Corinth. And, and everybody's celebrating, like, you are the man! Wow! It's Alexander the Great. I mean, he's the most powerful guy in the world. But he's looking for a man by the name, I don't know how to pronounce it, Diogenes. And he doesn't see him. And he's always long for his approval. And so finally he asks one of the servants, he said, hey, where's Diogenes? He's like, man, you promise you won't kill me? He's sunbathing. Sunbathing? What in the world? I just conquered the known world. He's sunbathing? So, so they, they take a little crew over there. And sure enough, man, he's in his little lounge chair. I don't even know what it looked like back in those days. Probably stone, probably hard soaking up the sun like some things will never change, right? Probably has a nice view. And he doesn't even, they said that he didn't even move, open his eyes or even acknowledge. Heard all the commotion come in. He's just soaking up the sun. And then he said that 
Alexander stood over him and said, Diogenes, I just conquered the known world. Is there anything else I can do for you? And without even hesitation, he says, yes, you can get out of my light. What? Yeah, you're blocking my light. The pastor that I was telling that story was like, oh my goodness. Like, just think of the implication. Think of the boldness of that. How bold is that? That the most powerful person in the world you need nothing from because he's just blocking what you already have. Get out of my light. I just think for some of us today, we need to look at that anger and say, get out of my light. We need to look at that self-centered city that we built and say, get out of my light. We need to look at the, the pride and the arrogance and say, get out of my light. You're blocking my view. I'm supposed to be connected with the sun. Get out of my light. Some of you need to go home today, that feeling of quitting and giving up. You say, get out of my light. In Jesus' name, I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm not going back. I'm not giving up. Get out of my light. In Jesus' name. Fast forward to the end of John, and I'm done. End of John. Peter's in his little self-centered boat. Hadn't caught a thing. When you build a city around yourself, it's, it's empty. It's not a lot of... Not a lot of movement. Beautiful scenery, but no fish. So Peter's out there, and he hears a voice from the shore. Hey, throw it on the other side. Instantly, Peter just recognizes that voice. And he knows it's Jesus. He jumps out of his boat of self into the water, fully dressed. And beelines it for the shore. And in this moment, Jesus restores him. Let's him know, I'm not done with you, bro. I, got, I still have a call on your life. They're going to kill you from my name, but it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And he says, Peter, do you, do you love me? And I love Peter's response. Finally, he's like, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I know. I love you, Lord. Then Peter says this, you know all things. You knew I was going to deny you, and you know that I love you. And he says, okay, then feed my sheep. We got work to do, bro. Let's go. Get out of the boat of self. Stop building your own city again. Let's build the kingdom. Let's build the kingdom. I'm going to build it in you, and I'm going to use you to build it in this world. Righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit. Everything else, get out of my life. Let me pray for us. Will you stand to your feet? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for your power. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I know that all of us have little cities of self that we're probably established or have established or we're currently building. Lord, we just declare by faith today, in Jesus' name, get out of our light. Lord, we repent from putting our confidence in us and not in you. And we just ask, Lord, that that you would continue to do work on the inside of us. Can I just tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, if, you're, if you've built a city of self, 
you don't have to go looking for Jesus. You don't need to leave here and go try a lot harder. Go ahead and, you know, try really, really hard to come back. No, no, he's already searching for you. He showed up on the shore of Peter's city. He showed up on the shore of, of Peter's old life. And it was like, oh, no, get out of the light. Get out of my light. And so today, we want to pray with you and for you. I'm going to have our prayer team come up. You don't have to try hard. Just surrender today. Just say, God, I'm just open to trust you. But whatever you have for me, I'm getting out of my boat of self. I'm coming to the shores of your kingdom and saying, God, have your way in my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.